can, let me get you to grab your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 will be in verses 18 through 22. Uh, here's what we're going to do today. Uh, as you're turning there, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, 18 through 22. I'm going to read the whole passage, but we're going to really focus in on verse 18 this afternoon together. So we're going to split it up a little bit. We're going to really hone in on verse 18. And then the next time we're together, dive more into 19 verses, uh, verse 19 through 22. So once again, we'll read the whole passage. We're really focusing on verse 18. So let me, let me pray for us before we dive in. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you once again uh, for this opportunity to come before you and uh, worship you. Uh, it is indeed a privilege uh, to be here this afternoon to uh, do what we've already been doing, to, to sing praises unto you, to pray unto you, and uh, to, yeah, now hear your word proclaimed. And as we've been singing, what has been the theme so far is that it's all about you. It's all about you. Be at the center of it all, O oh Lord. Uh, you are the head of the church. And we want to worship you as such. You are the head of this church. And so we pray, God, that as the head of this church, uh, that we would worship you rightly and well this afternoon. I know a lot of us come in, Lord, uh, just with so much, Lord, that has happened over this last week. Uh, so much that has happened even in the last few minutes uh, leading up to coming to gather. God, I pray that you would uh, yeah, for us not to negate those feelings or, or to not, those are real feelings, those are real things we've had to experience. And I just pray, God, that you would put, yeah, a holy parenthesis around this time, God, that we would be able to be in tune, focus, to hear from you. And in light of those different things that, whatever they might be, that during our time as a corporate body, will be encouraged, will be challenged to navigate whatever those things might be. But give us focus. Give us energy, Lord, as well. And uh, we pray that you'll be glorified throughout our time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So Mark 2, starting at verse 18, reads as follows. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and the worst tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins." but new wine is for fresh wineskins. This is God's word, amen? Amen, amen. 
If you're taking notes, very simple outline, one point this afternoon, and it is this, is that Jesus and his disciples are questioned. Jesus and his disciples are questioned. And essentially, this is an accusatory question. It's a critical question. Look back with me at verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So far in this book of the gospel, uh, we've seen in Mark that Jesus and the religious leaders of his time have been in opposition. Uh, they've been in opposition. Essentially, the Pharisees have been opposing Jesus and his ways. We saw last week in our time together, if you were with us, in verses 13 through 17, so the scene just above this one, uh, that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. And this was a group of people that the Pharisees and the rest of the religious leaders of the time wouldn't be caught socializing with because of their rules and their traditions and the different regulations they had. We learned last week that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And praise God that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Amen? Amen. So when we come to the passage we're studying this afternoon, we see in verse 18 that the people come to Jesus with a question about fasting. They come to him with a question about fasting. Mind you, as I've just mentioned uh, just a little bit ago, that uh, this is an accusatory type question in light of John's disciples who are fasting and the Pharisees who are fasting. John's disciples, this is referring to John the Baptist. Uh, so John the Baptist and his disciples. And as you might know, or just to refresh you that, John the Baptist, was the, he was the forerunner. He was the one who prepared the way of Jesus. If you look over at chapter 1, here's what it says. It says, chapter 1, starting at verse 1 of Mark, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will do what? Prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Verse 4, John appeared. So this is talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one who prepared the way for Jesus' coming. Then we also see, so we see John's disciples who are fasting, but also in the scene we see that the Pharisees are also fasting, which is also interesting to think about that John's disciples are fasting with the Pharisees. You even think about that, if you think about John the Baptist and uh, what he was doing as we see in chapter 1, preparing the way of the Lord for John's disciples to be fasting with the Pharisees would even seem that these two groups would be opposing one another. But yet we find that they are together, fasting together. And so the Pharisees, once again, are the religious leaders of Jesus' time who, who followed a rule and works-based salvation. They followed a rule and works-based salvation. And anyone who didn't follow their rules were in opposition to them. So with Jesus and his disciples not fasting like everyone else, 
They come to question them. They come to question what they are or aren't doing, rather. But the question is laced with a trap. It's laced with a trap. And you'll see this afternoon in our brief time together, but as we continue to study this book together, that the religious leaders are always trying to trap Jesus. They're always trying to hem up Jesus with their rules and regulations. Always trying to trap him. Always trying to hem him up and hem the disciples up. But before we go any further, before we uh, dive a little bit more into this verse, let me, let me define some terms. Let me, let me define uh, some terms. So define what fasting is, right? So fasting here and throughout Scripture seems to refer to a dedicated time where you give up eating food, so the eating of food to completely focus on God more and rely upon God more. This is what we see in Scripture. We see that uh, the believers, those who were fasting, were fasting to, uh, yeah, to focus completely more on God and to rely more on God. One person puts it this way. He says, too often the focus of fasting is on the lack of food. Instead, the purpose of fasting should be to take your eyes off the things of this world to focus completely on God. Fasting is a way to dis- demonstrate to God and to ourselves that we are serious about our relationship with him. Fasting helps us gain a new perspective and a renewed reliance upon God. So this is the idea here about fasting, that essentially it is to, to yeah, get your eyes off self, to get your eyes off of all the stuff, and to really get them on God. Fasting does not save a person. Uh, fasting is something to, to help aid us into uh, see the beautiful salvation that we have more clearly and more accurately, right? So, so when we think about uh, just life and the circumstances of life, the challenges that we face in life, and so forth and so forth, and as we'll see in just a second, or we're, we're thinking about making some big decisions, uh, we want to we wanna use this dedicated time to fast from food in order to, to really uh, eat from the food of God, uh, to, to pray and to read God's word and to get our eyes off of those things and to completely have them on God. So that's the idea here as it relates to fasting. So the believers in the book of Acts fast before making some decisions. You might recall this. And so Acts 13, 2 through 3 can just write these down, or if you want to turn there, you certainly can, but if you want to write these down and reference them later, but Acts 13, 2 through 3, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Another verse, Acts 14, verse 23, it says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So we see that before uh, these decisions were made to to send off uh, Barnabas and Paul, Saul is Paul, uh, they spent some time fasting and praying. Uh, Before they appointed elders for the church, they were finding themselves in prayer and fasting and then committing them to the Lord. We see in the passages of, above that prayer and fasting are linked. 
But we also see it in a few other places. So Luke 2, 37, it says, And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Night and day. So again, you see prayer and fasting linked together. Another example here, Luke 5, 33, it says, And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. So this is essentially what fasting is, is, is meant here. Again, it's a, it's a time set aside from food to eat from the food of God through prayer and word and intimacy with the Father. To know him more. To uh, grow closer to him. To uh, get your eyes and different things along those lines, off of the circumstances of what's happening and get them completely on him. It's a helpful aid in that regards. So this is mostly what the word fasting means in Scripture, uh, to fast from food, to be with God. So the Pharisees are like, we're all fasting, Jesus, but you and your disciples were just eating with the tax collectors and sinners, in the scene before, so we have that dispute going on that they noticed that Jesus and the disciples were eating with tax collectors and sinners. So they come with this accusatory question to really hit at them and combat Jesus and his disciples because they were upset. They were still, this is running from uh, really what's been happening all throughout chapter 2 so far, but, but the disciples and Jesus combating or the Pharisees combating Jesus in his ways. So they were upset with Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees wanted to have a dispute. They wanted to argue about it. And again, the question was an attempt to raise their rules above the word. This was the attempt that the question had in its aim. It was to raise their rules, their regulations above God's word. To raise their rules and regulations above what God actually requires and desires. So if you haven't been getting anything so far out of the sermon yet, or if you don't get anything else, I want you to get this, that the Pharisees believed that if they kept God's law completely and did all of the right stuff, that they would be good with God. That they would be good with God. They thought that they would be good with God based on what they do for God. And what Jesus shows them and us throughout his ministry is that religiosity or religion and the rules can't save us. They can't save us. Only he can. Only Jesus can. So the old religion of the Pharisees and the different rules that they put in place as offense, as we talked about last week, that, that yeah, they, they obeyed uh, the written law, but they, they also were seeking to obey the oral law. And these were like traditions and different commandments that were essentially man-made uh, that they use these things to put a fence around the law for those who are aiming and striving to keep the law. This was more of a fence in addition to that to prevent people from disobeying the law. Does that make sense? 
So, so they, they had this fence in place that was around the law to keep them from breaking the law. And essentially, even so the law and the fence around the law of God doesn't produce the forgiveness and freedom found only in Jesus. So it, it, doesn't, that's, it doesn't produce the forgiveness and freedom. So where the Pharisees' rules and regulation uh, essentially produced bondage, uh, it didn't produce the, the freedom and forgiveness that was only found in Jesus. For example, some of us were raised in the church, right? We're raised in the church, uh, maybe didn't put our faith in the Lord Jesus until a, a later age for salvation. But religiosity and rules would say something like this, just come to church. Come to church. Come to church every once in a while. Pay your tithes. Do some community outreach stuff. And again, these things are all good. And these are things that we as Christians do and should do, I believe. But these things do not get us close to God. These things do not essentially save us. These things will never save us. So, could come to church, which is encouraged, come to church, where you could hear the gospel, and the Lord might indeed save you and has saved some of you from attending church. But it's not just attending church where the salvation is. We, I, does that make sense? Want to get us away from doing stuff, thinking that we, we have to do these particular things, and then that's going to appease God. So you come to church, you do church, or you pay your dues, you pay your tithes, you receive blessing, or you receive salvation. Uh, you do a community outreach event, which are all good things. But the community outreach event or any other event that we would deem as something that, man, we're doing this for God, doesn't produce salvation. The only thing that produces salvation is God himself. It's God himself. So those things will never save us. Our works can never save us. And this is the biggest difference between Christianity and every other religion. This is the biggest difference. Is that Christianity is about what's been done. It's about what's been done. Other religions are about what you do. What you do to appease God, to please God, to receive salvation. Christianity is like, no, 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 I've done it for you. You just receive it. You just believe it. So this is the biggest difference between Christianity and every other religion. Every other religion is works-based. Works-based salvation. For us, as Christians, we're only saved by grace through faith. And this was a gift, right? This is what Ephesians 2 and 8 says, 2, 8 and 9. It says, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So that what? So not the results of works, so that no one may boast. This is the biggest difference. Christianity is about what's been done for you in your place and in my place. 
The other religions say, well, this is what you can do to get to God, to get approval from God, to receive salvation from God. That's not biblical Christianity. That's not the scriptures. That's not what the scriptures teach. The only way that you and I can be good with God is if we receive God's son. This is the beauty of the gospel is that all of us in this room, every human being on the face of the earth, from, from the beginning to now and to when it's over, when the Lord returns, we are all sinners. We're all sinners. We have all lived a life unworthy of the gospel. We've all lived a life in opposition to God. The Bible says that we hate God, that we are enemies of God. Once again, the, the good news is that, man, Jesus is a friend of sinners like us, right? That we oppose God in his ways. Jesus, through his perfect sinless life and his death on the cross in our place and his wondrous resurrection, offers us forgiveness and salvation in him alone. And the Bible says once we believe that, if we receive this good news, that we'll be saved. Not based on our works, but based on the works of another, and that being the Lord Jesus. This is the best news that we could ever hear. The best news that we could ever be reminded of this afternoon. That, that Jesus has paid your sin debt. And he's paid my sin debt. That you and I couldn't pay it. The cost was too high. But it cost Jesus his life. And he willfully and willingly paid it for you and me. So, and then he, by his grace, draws us into right relationship to himself by his spirit. And he calls anyone who doesn't know him to believe upon him, to repent of their sins and turn away from the things that he hates and turn to him by faith, trusting him. If you haven't done that this afternoon, I want to invite you to know him. I want to invite you to believe upon God's good son who has lived the perfect life in your place and died a death that you deserved and I deserve, who rose from the dead, offering you life. This is the good news. Fasting won't save us. Coming to church won't save us. Although coming to church is a good biblical thing, that Christians do, essentially it doesn't save us. We come to, to, yeah, to hear from God's word and to hear about what God has done salvifically. That is what will save us, the message of the gospel. And so when we come to church, we come to praise him for his glorious salvation and to worship him for, for who he is and what he's done. So doing religious things will not save us. Only Jesus can. And only Jesus, as we as Christians look to him, only can we then continue to have that right perspective about this salvation. That, that as we continue on in doing life with the Lord, that is not our works. It's not our works. It's not what we do for God that gets approval from God. We are already approved by God because of his son, Jesus. And so we 
May we be reminded of that and encouraged by that this afternoon. So the Pharisees and John's disciples, John's disciples were, were doing the good thing, fasting, but it became a God thing. It became an idol. It became what they worshipped more than God. It became the rules and regulations that they worshipped and not God. This is a big difference. That, that we are called to worship God for who he is and what he's done. As I mentioned last week, if we're not careful as Christians, we too can slip into those types of habits, a pharisaical type of habit. But what I want to encourage us and what I alluded to just not too long ago and remind us of this afternoon is what Jesus says here in Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. Here's what he says. He says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John, this is when he's baptized, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Here's what I'm getting at, this last verse. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Who I am well pleased. I want you to, as Christians here, I want you to let that verse sink in for a moment. Think about this. As you know, the story of the gospel, of the gospels, that Jesus hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't done a work. He hadn't worked any miracles. He hadn't healed anybody who was sick. He hadn't cast out any demons. He hadn't even preached yet. But here we see that the Father is well pleased with the Son. It says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So for us who struggle, which is all of us, who can struggle with thinking we got to work for something, thinking we need to, to, to work for God's approval, for those of us who are in Christ in the same way that the Father speaks to the Son and says, man, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, the Father is well pleased with you. Not based on you, but based on his Son. And based on the Son's work in your place and in my place. And so, what we have to do as Christians is just continue to receive that. Continue to rest in that good news, to rest in that freeing news this afternoon. I hope that frees us. I hope that frees us to worship freely, to know that, that we are not in need of or having to please God on the basis of our works, on the basis of what we do, or better yet, let me say it the other way, that we don't receive salvation, or that we don't receive 
these things because of what we do for God. But better yet, because God has already done the work for us in our place, and that he calls us just to receive that, to believe that, to trust that, and receive and be approved in him because of that, that we can live freely, that we can walk freely. I mean, think about the Pharisees for a second and the Sadducees. Think about them for a second, how much weight it was on their shoulders, how much weight it could be on our shoulders. If we are trying to please God by doing works, think about how exhausting that is. Think about how life-giving and more freer it is to just rest. It's just resting what Christ has done for you. And to receive that afresh this afternoon. And I heard it said, I think a few people have said it, but I think KB has said it, Christian hip-hop artist KB, I think he said it, and a few others have said it, but, but, but that we don't, we don't work for salvation. We work from salvation. That's the difference. So none of us as Christians in the room are working for salvation, or we shouldn't be. Instead, may we feel empowered and encouraged and free to work from it, to let that be our motivation, the gospel be our motivation to do the works, right? To do study time with the Lord to spend time with God in prayer, not because we are like, yo, like, like if I read my Bible a hundred times, that that's going to bring me salvation or that's going to please God. And in some ways it does please. I mean, God wants us to read, his, read the word, wants us to pray. But what I want to encourage us and challenge us is that if we are putting these types of things kind of in like a, checkbox type list of like, man, I'm doing my quiet time today, or man, I've done this, I've done this, and God, man, does this, does this bring approval? Does this please you? I want us to relax and rest and receive that. No, no, no. God is pleased with you. He, he does approve of you. But not on the basis of you, Christian, or me, Christian. But on the basis of his son. So may we continue to look to his son and rest in his son and what he has done alone for us. Amen? Amen. 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 So what I want to do, I'm going to close, but I really wanted to just, just spend a little more time just kind of breaking down this, and as we come together again, we'll dive deeper into verses 19 through 22 and looking at Jesus' answer as he responds to this critical question. It's an accusatory question. And just to give you a little, little glimpse of it, though, look at verse 20. It says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. This is a nod to Jesus for the first time in the gospel. It's talking about his death. He's the bridegroom. The guests are those who are present. Jesus is the bridegroom. He says there will be a day where he's taken away from them. And then on that day, you will fast. 
So this is a nod to what Jesus is going to do and has done. So let me pray for us. God, thank you for this afternoon once again. God, we praise you for uh, yeah, your word. Uh, even in this time, Lord, just to just walk through one verse to, to think about um, yeah, the, the bondage uh, and uh, the handcuffing, if you will, of, of a pharisaical mindset and practice, but the, the freedom that is found in, in the freedom and forgiveness that is found in Christ and what he did for us so that we might know you. God, I pray for all of us as Christians in the room. Pray, God, that you would free us this afternoon from trying to work for your approval, trying to, trying to work for something instead of may we find yeah, joy and freedom in that, man. We are working from it. We're working. We already have it. We possess it by your grace. So free us from working for things. And help us to rest in the work that you have finished for us, completed for us. May we find great hope and joy in you. And for anyone who doesn't know you, may they come to know you. May they come to know that they can't save themselves, that their works will not save them, but only your work alone on the cross. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.